It's a phrase from popular movies. It's also a question that comes up in our daily life. The question is, is that even legal? We talk about the things that drive you crazy, the things you won't believe, and the things you need to know and understand. I'm attorney Bob Sewell, and this is the podcast, Is That Even Legal? Let's get started. Today on the show is Michelle Van Quatham. Michelle is an expert in water law. She's an attorney. She handles water law issues. We live in the desert, Michelle, and there is nothing to drink. We are going thirsty right now, and the Saudi Arabian government is stealing our water, right? Um, well, in That's a, what I read in the, news, that in sense, in the newspaper. The Saudi Arabia is stealing our government. Our, well, our water, but it's... it's oh, <laughs> I, can you tell that I'm a little tired? The Saudi Arabia is stealing our water. That's right. They aren't stealing it. We're giving it to them. So we're giving. <laughs> I mean, you know, I, what's worse? Yeah, you've seen quite a few articles. They've been in both California and Arizona newspapers over the past three years about a company called Fondamonte, which is a large uh, food producer centered in Saudi Arabia, and it serves uh, food to people throughout the world. They have actually prohibited growing alfalfa in Saudi Arabia, which is a desert. And so they looked for other places to grow alfalfa, which is a very thirsty crop. And Arizona's rural water laws allow um, this organization to come in and rent um, land fairly cheaply and not pay virtually anything for the water, grow the alfalfa, and ship it back home. And the Saudi Arabians are kind of the boogeyman here, but this is available to anyone. So we have others that take advantage of this um, low regulation in rural areas. Let me let me talk about this a little bit, a little bit more, a little bit more seriously. Arizona is unique in our alfalfa production. We, we grow a lot more. We have have the ability to grow two or three times more alfalfa than in other places in the country, and and that is primarily one of the reasons why we have had cattle in, as such a, as such a huge part of our industry was because we can grow the alfalfa for the cattle and we could grow a lot of it, and that makes Arizona unique. And we have been very willing as Arizonans to pump that water from our aquifer and lay it out on our fields and grow that alfalfa. And Arizona also has um, a certain, has certain valleys. Among them is Butler Valley. And that's the, that's what gave rise to this article. And they've, and the state of Arizona has leased to the Saudi Arabian government no, not this is not the government, but a, an entity that uh, from Saudi Arabia. They've leased at the rate of approximately twenty five dollars per acre this land, and the land is you know inside the land is the Arizona Central Canal, and the land also has significant a significant aquifer underneath. And we have identified, or different policymakers have identified that valley as a potential reserve for water. So when we are thirsty, when we don't have it, we could pump and put it into the canal and have water. Well, the problem here is that 
we give away our land in the state of Arizona for agriculture cheap, real cheap. Yes, and there's probably a disconnect in the policies there because really the McMullen Valley, the Butler Valley, and the Harcohala Valley have all been identified as remote storage reservoirs for groundwater for use of people in the Phoenix area potentially or maybe in the Tucson area in the future as a backup supply. And that's a great um, policy, but the state land department has different um, guidelines and the state land department owns a lot of land, including land in the Butler Valley, that it is required to earn income on for its beneficiaries. And the question and that the was, beneficiaries, the public schools of Arizona. Uh, the beneficiaries, one of the large beneficiaries is the, the public school system, and there are other beneficiaries as well, depending on the parcel. Um, the issue, I think, is in those articles, whether the state land department is indeed fulfilling its mission of getting enough revenue for the lands that it that it allows people to lease there and maybe other places too. The issue is also, should they be charging separately for water? You know, are they getting the value of the land and the water into the lease price and that sort of thing? I, I fully think that, that that deserves to be vetted, but the state land department does not need to save water for the cities in the Phoenix area. So it's a, it's a question of who has the land and who has the right to pump the water. And if they need to change anything, it would probably be a statewide change. And potentially the federal government would have to bless it if it's a constitutional change for the state land department. So the, the, the state, so let's, let's get into this and get into the policy. The state land, all these different valleys you just named, is for the benefit of whatever the state land trust is for. Among it is the public schools, right? Right. And we lease it away at dirt cheap prices, right? That one could say that, yes. Um, I mean, <laughs> dirt in Phoenix generally isn't cheap, but the, the farmers that pay the rent may not say that. But yes, it's but twenty five dollars an acre low. is is really low, right? Right, right. And and farming's good, right? Farming is good to an extent. I I think that you, what you're going to see not only in Arizona but in some of the other Colorado River dependent. Um, states, we're going to start seeing some changes in farming over time. They've already seen some of them, but you mentioned the alfalfa production. I think that's going to have to go away to a certain extent because we just can't afford to spend all of our water resources on those types of thirsty crops. There'll be some need for local alfalfa for sure. We have dairies and things that, that use those crops locally, but we don't need to be sending it to Saudi Arabia. So, <laughs> yeah, I mean, that, that, now it's interesting that that Saudi Arabia has determined that growing alfalfa in its desert's a bad idea, but apparently Arizona doesn't have that same feeling. No, historically, um, the the people in rural Arizona have shied away from and vehemently so any regulation on their water. They don't want people to come in and measure it. They don't want people to, you know, be involved in their business. And that is changing. Um, we are seeing a number of local efforts this year for the election. Um, the, um, I think don't like this wrongly, Douglas Basin is actually having um, a I don't know what they call it, a proposal on the ballot to make that area an active management area for groundwater, which will start regulating groundwater much more seriously. The Wilcox Basin has had a number of efforts to do the same thing, and there are efforts in um, a couple of the basins in Mojave County to get more restrictions on groundwater. Those are areas that have had an explosion of farming. 
as um, I know there are people in California that have had water restrictions. They've moved some of those operations to Arizona to take the water here because it's cheaper, easier to get. And so we're going to continue to see that in rural areas. And, of course, that takes away water that people depend on for their homes and their wells. I want to dive a little bit more into this the crops before we get into some residential issue. Because Arizona, as we talked about, is unique because we can grow so much in so much uh, in our production of alfalfa and other types of things like cotton, but they're thirsty. Right. And I, I think that what you're going to see over time is that the people, the consumers of water um, are going to drive up the market for water in a way that some of the lower value crops that don't earn as much like cotton and alfalfa will probably just go away by market forces, but they may also be regulated away because they're just simply too thirsty for this area. It's a great place to grow things, but it takes too much water. You know, and that's interesting because those crops can be grown in areas that have more water and they can be, um, maybe they're not as productive as they would be in Arizona. You can't get as many cuts on the alfalfa, but you can grow them in Pennsylvania. You can grow them in places that have the water. Right, and I think the farmers now are looking at different methods of, of watering that may be more efficient, and maybe they could keep some of those crops if, they, if they're successful with those alternative methods. They're also looking at different crops. So. You know, and but I do think is important that we have certain crops here that, are exclude that are really important to the country. They're not exclusive to Arizona, but they're really important to the country. Winter vegetables. Yes, I think winter veg- vegetables are here to stay. I can't imagine that they would stop growing those high value crops here and in Southern California. But certainly, they will have pressures with water supplies. Those those farms that grow those vegetables for the large part have very high priority water rights, and so I don't think that they're going to suffer as much as, for instance, the farmers in Central Arizona that don't. Yeah, and and, and that's that's a good thing because. If I want to have a salad in the middle of winter, I could have that thanks to Arizona, Southern California. Right. And it's just a physical reality that, that isn't necessarily much of a policy choice at this point. But And we have the same thing in Mexico. We get vegetables from Mexico, and they also have water pressures. We have in Arizona, moving over to residential issues, we have in Arizona a fascinating and scary problem. Do we have enough water for our future growth? We are growing very fast as a, as a state. The population is getting larger and larger. Do we have enough water? You know, I get to ask this question all the time, and it's it's just like anything else in real estate, location, location, location. There are locations in Arizona that have water and will have water for years to give to new development. Those are primarily in the big cities in the Phoenix area. Maricopa um, County. Maricopa County. Um, but there are areas that already don't have water for new development, and that development is not occurring. So it really depends on where you are. The um, water supplies that you want to look for when you're a property developer are things that have diversity of supply and volume and those types of things. And, and you know, people are siting in the Phoenix area, and that's why I think a big, a big part of it. You know, I had an interesting problem in that – on a, on a particular matter I was working on and the land lost the land was didn't have a 100 year certificate and 
a lot of land around it did. And so we said, okay, well, this land is going to be valuable or is valuable. And then the Kyle Institute for Water, you know, put the kibosh on us. Right. And and the thing I, t- I tell my clients all the time when they're shopping for land that, you know, Arizona has much more land than it has water to use with that land. And there are parcels that are simply worthless across the street from very valuable parcels. And so it's a very parcel by parcel analysis. And then um, we've talked a little bit about the 100-year certificate. Yeah, and what's, what's that about? You want me to describe that? That's So in Arizona, in the active management areas, which are largely Phoenix, Tucson, the Pinal County area, most of Pinal County and Prescott, there's a subdivision law, a state law, that says that developers cannot subdivide property into six or more parcels unless they're able to demonstrate that they have 100 years worth of water. There's a bit of a demonstration that occurs in the rural areas, but there are still areas that you can still build, even if you demonstrate you don't have 100 years worth of water. So <laughs> so in the Phoenix area, at least, you do have to have it. And it's, it's a rigorous review. And there are many cases where we aren't able to show that and we have to walk away from the property. But there are also places where we do that. I do that every day and I'm still getting certificates. And, and there are also cities that hold designations which, which apply to their whole service area. So you don't need a certificate if you build in their designated area. Is that good policy? I mean, let's think about this for a second because everyone who's listening to this has knows someone who's in their 80s and their 90s. One lifetime is 100 years. It's absolutely good policy, and I'll tell you why. Because there are very few, if any, other states, counties, cities outside of Arizona that have a 100-year planning horizon. Many people plan for water for 25 years or for 50 years. So from the sense of, you know, how are we doing compared to other people, I think it's a fantastic plan. But you're right. I, I, you know, if I have a subdivision and I'm working as a lawyer for 30 years, you know, there may only be 70 years worth of water available for that subdivision when I stop working. So you're correct. But it's enough to last for the lifetime of the person that bought the house. So that's really, it's a consumer protection law. So at least they know while they want to live there, it's okay. But yes, in the future, we're going to have to adapt over time to probably a drier future. But there will be, there will be subdivisions that are, you know, in odd locations that maybe don't have access to water at some point, but there, there's time to adapt. So maybe a pipeline is built to them in the next hundred years. So it's not necessarily that there's a guarantee that things will continue the same way for everyone, but it's a fantastic program despite its, its difficulties because there are things in it that could be improved. You know, it's, it's better than anything that I've ever seen. So you were just talking about um, places that just don't even have water. And we do that in Arizona where you build a house and there's no access to water. We call these wildcat subdivisions, right? Right. Um, in the rural areas, they're not wildcat necessarily, but in the active management areas where there is a, a strong subdivision law that only applies to parcels that are divided six ways or more, people will go in and still develop properties into five lots or four lots or three lots, sell the houses, and we call those wildcat subdivisions because they aren't required by law to follow all the requirements, including the proof that they have. How do they get water? water um, some of them don't have water, and that's become a huge issue for some property owners now in Rio Verde foothills who were 
um, some in some cases dependent on wells that have gone dry. In some cases, never had wells and were just dependent on water hauled to a tank by, yeah. a, by a truck. And so a lot of because of the shortages in the Colorado River, a lot of the cities that were providing standpipe surfaces for those trucks are now shutting those off, including Scottsdale has decided to shut its off at the end of the year. So we, we're hearing a lot about the Rio Verde Foothills residents that won't have an easy access to standpipe water. Yeah, and, and it's more common than, than you'd think that, that in Arizona we take water and we truck it somewhere and then that's what they drink. Right. And, <laughs> and, and what I tell nuts. what I tell people is it's very unfortunate that that happened, but there's really a need for disclosure and due diligence for people because we can't save everyone like that. That situation came up. We had that situation in the Desert Hills area a few years ago, and we're going to continue to have those situations at multiple locations where this occurs and we can't save everyone because there's not enough water for all those parcels. So yeah. so I think that the the less is that people need to buy their houses in the right place and it's painful because they don't. Yeah, it's really, you know, and it, it, Arizona sort of is fights over water. I mean, we we have lots of fights over water. There's litigation going on. I, I, I have an acquaintance and he was called in to be a special master over a particular set of water disputes. And I said, and he was from another state and he just works as a special master. And I said, well, that's all you do? He said, oh yeah, that's all I do. Well, what are you going to do when it's over? He says, it'll never end. Right. I, and I get I, I'm like, <laughs> I have people calling me about shared well disputes and they're the worst cases that I think we could have as an attorney. I, they're like divorces, but the people never loved each other. Yeah, they never loved. <laughs> <laughs> well, and we, we fight over sewage. Like in my neighborhood, oh. I have, um, uh, the, the, the parks are watered with what we flushed mm-hmm. down the toilet just a few days beforehand or however long it takes to get through the system. And our parks are watered with the same water. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and we think this is all normal. I mean, there's a park in, in near my house and it's got all these ponds and the very winter time it steams up and we that's, think this is all normal. That's very normal. And it's my favorite kind of water. It's actually cleaned before it's put out. And it's actually when it's put out into the park, it's it's as clean as drinking water. That's what they. Yeah. OK. So. I interviewed an in- engineer. <laughs> I interviewed an engineer once and I said and he uh, takes out a cup and he you know, fills it up with the water that has now right. been cleaned. And he says, and this is now grade, whatever water, and it could be drank. And I, and I said, are you going to drink it? He says, not a chance. Yeah. Well, it's, <laughs> it's clean to drinking water quality standards, according to the federal government, yeah. but it does have high salts and it's not quite as clean as you'd want for drinking water. And, and it's going to taste a little funny. And they won't let you but do it, won't it kill you. with the current cleaning method as most treatment plants have, but it's coming. We're going to be starting to put some of that water back into the drinking water. Um, a lot of the cities are that have that in their capital plans or their future plans, and that's one of the ways that we're going to stretch our water supply. That's okay. So in Arizona, we like I said, we fight, we fight, we fight over water, and we're fighting with all sorts of states over the Colorado River. And I, I know this is overdone. But the Colorado River is a significant portion of our water, and it's estimated that we're going to lose capacity year after year of that water, and because of global warming and climate change, wherever whatever else, and then more people are drawing on that water, and so there's some proposals out there. 
And I want to ask you about these proposals. First of all, they're awesome. <laughs> these proposals are awesome. They would be awesome for me as an attorney too. Oh, so. it would be <laughs> it would be a gift that does not that does not stop for the next 100 years, right? Not until I want to retire. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but the first proposal is let's get it from the Mississippi River. Yeah, Let's and that's it. that comes up. It it's primarily yeah, it comes up primarily with retired elder gentlemen at every meeting that I'm in, and I have actually looked hard at that proposal in a serious way um, before. And as an attorney that works on projects where you get land use authorizations and pipeline easements, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that could that proposal seriously could only work because of the politics involved. If the federal government condemned the right of way somehow yeah. or or basically enacted a federal law to override all of the local jurisdictions that the pipeline would have to go through. But physically, it's possible. The problem is water is very heavy. And so it takes an incredible amount of energy to move water from one place to another. And you're going over the Rocky Mountains or you're going south of the Rocky Mountains over many states. It's just a huge, huge endeavor. The um, CAP, the Central Arizona Project, that already goes for 200 miles from the Colorado River to Tucson, yeah. um, that is the largest power user in Arizona. So if we, put in a, if we put in a big pipeline to the Mississippi, we'd need some power plants. It would be an enormous project. But first, we'd have to get over the legal issues and and you have, you know, Indian communities, you have federal lands with probably, you know, 100 different agencies with jurisdiction over those federal lands, states, local jurisdictions, all of those people have different permits and requirements that would keep me busy for many, many years. Yeah. And then the environmental <laughs> review, that's not a very oh, an environmentally gosh. friendly project. So it would be, they would have to override it at the federal level, I think. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you. And because they would have to get get the federal government to condemn the land and, and that the would water. take I'm sure that Mississippi or whatever state we were taking from wouldn't want to give give up their water unless it was flood water available two days a year or something. So, yeah. So yeah, so that's not a very viable project. It's a doable project in in a physical sense, but it's terrible from an environmental, legal perspective, political perspective. So it's not my first choice. But you know, I think the answer is though I have for that for the people who don't like that is maybe we should just instead of move to Arizona, we should just move to their states. Exactly. And right. uh, we could. <laughs> right. I'm right. certain they would rather have all Arizonans moving to their states, and they can right. see what and happens there, to there their housing. There will be some of property. that if, if the water gets too short. But that's yeah, that's just the. I think that the the ways that I tell people that we're going to get more water include the best project, which you're probably going to raise, which is desalination. I think that's the most viable new new, new water source. And Governor Ducey actually started putting money towards the planning of that sort of a project in the last legislative yes. session. Yes. Yes. And that was a fascinating uh, mm -hmm. concept that Governor Ducey proposed. And that was, hey, let's create an agreement with Mexico. Mm -hmm. And four hours south of here, or is it four hours, is the Sea of Cortez. Right. And we'll desalinate the Sea of Cortez and, and pipe it to Arizona. And I think that's a fantastic opportunity. The um, I won't credit Governor Ducey with it, though, because the idea has been worked on for many years by water professionals. Okay. <laughs> it just, it just he got us some money, so thank you. Um, but actually, the Central Arizona Project has been working on that sort of a project for years. And the fantastic part about it is it won't require much for the— 
for infrastructure other than the plant because the idea is that you would put desalination next to a new power plant near the Gulf of Cortez, or you could do the same thing in, in California if you could get the entitlements. Um, and you would basically make it for local use. So Mexico would use that water or California would use that water. It wouldn't come to Arizona. But in exchange, we would take a quantity of the, one of those parties, Central or, or I mean Colorado River water through existing piping. So it would not require a big pipeline across the desert. It would be much more efficient if we could do sort of a water exchange. And we're doing one right now with California where we're helping them reclaim more of their own water. And in exchange, they're giving us some of their Colorado River water through our existing piping. So those are the types of projects that make a lot more sense than a big new pipeline from the Mississippi. But that pipeline would be amazing. It would be amazing, and it would keep me busy. So I can't say I won't work on it. But but that is a fascinating <laughs> idea because one of the problems with Mexico in their water supply is we take it. Right. It never the, the well, Colorado they, River used to go to Mexico, right. and and there was still water to be had, and now it's. They still, no, they still get their allocation. There's an international treaty and they share the shortages that we share. So they're very much a partner with the other states in the lower basin, but they do have an allocation. And so there's an opportunity for exchange if we can find a way to give them another source of water. Interesting. These projects we just talked about are really expensive, right? Really expensive and they'll take quite a long time. I mean, we're, we're looking at 50, 100 years later, Potentially for some of this stuff? I think probably 15 to 20 for desalination, but that's just a guess. Okay. So is this the best option? Um, no. In fact, I think the best option and the next option um, for new development, for existing um, users, the cheapest way to get new water is to make it from water that you're already wasting. And so you would want to do more extensive conservation recycling, um, reclaiming, and things like, um, you know, we have a lot of excess water that we use um, in agriculture. So they're looking at different programs, like I said, to make that more efficient. That's the biggest savings because they're using the most water. 72% of the state's water goes to agriculture on an annual basis. So that's the first thing we need to do is focus on the big grill in the room, get them to use less water. Then if we're looking at municipal users, commercial users, industrial users, there are a lot of them that are putting in new RO systems so that they can recycle their water more times. They are um, reclaiming water in different ways. The cities are starting to look at direct potable reuse of reclaiming claimed water. Those are the cheaper, more efficient ways to use and to get new water sources. And then pure conservation. We have a long way to go. We we have oh, people yeah. we have people with lawns in my neighborhood still. Yeah. You know, there there's a lot of outdoor water waste and maybe not water waste, but water use that can be decreased and made more efficient. We could even go so far as to try dry toilets. I mean, there is a lot that can be done for conservation, and we're just starting to look at it. Nobody is really being required to do much I don't want to change, Michelle. Okay. <laughs> That's exactly the problem. <laughs> There's only so far people are willing to go. But Thanks for coming on the show. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Is That Even Legal? Remember, this isn't legal advice. If you have a legal question for yourself, reach out to an attorney. Remember that we're fun, we're lovable, and we are here to help you. 
To my listeners in 62 countries across the world, if you have something you want to explore, email us at producer at evenlegal.com. And don't be shy about leaving a review for this podcast on your favorite podcast forum. See you next time.